Welcome back to Rebellion Dogs Radio. I, I feel like I'm back. I'm glad to be back. Rebellion Dogs Radio is a 21st century look at 12-step life, now with less dogma and more bite. I've been away a bit. I had an opportunity to be with Anna David on After Parties podcast episode 100. I thought it would be overexposure if I put out another episode right on schedule. <laughs> anyway, that sounds like excuse making. Very excited about Anna David's uh, episode 100. She hinted about a new podcast coming up. Looking forward to that too. Uh, she was on the news recently. As far as I'm concerned, it's just what we're hearing through the rumor mill. Uh, there could have been some sort of drug-related or health-related incident regarding Prince's death had to do with opioids or not getting access to Suboxone or Methadone or something like that. And she was on a TV show. They were talking to Dr. Phil and her about America's dependency on uh, the relief from pain. While the U.S. is 5% of the world's population, it consumes 80% of the world's painkillers. It just seems there's no reason to deal with pain. <laughs> uh, and it's interesting in 12-step culture, you get so focused on coping mechanisms for that, you forget that a lot of people just skip the, all those steps. <laughs> anyway, I'm not going to be uh, talking directly with you so much this week as I'm going to share a couple of wonderful people with you. One is Jackie B. And I might have talked about her when I talked about Sedona because I was very moved by a presentation that she and uh, Glenn Chestnut did together uh, about uh, minorities in AA and their early struggles, uh, African Americans, gays and lesbians. She is my guest. I was so enchanted by her. I just thought, wow, I got to share this and we're going to do that. In a little while, she was at the top of the show introducing us. But first, I'm going to uh, share with you my conversation with William G. Borchert. The reason he's with us is he uh, has a new book called How I Became My Father, A Drunk. It's not so much a story of his life, his alcoholism and his recovery, but the family dynamic he got sober and his father followed him into recovery. And it's a heartwarming story. Uh, but he'll tell you a little bit more about that. So much interview, I don't know how much I'm going to be able to share with you. But I'm going to do that almost uh, right now. Let me just preface the show with uh, some background on a couple of these people. Jackie, who we'll uh, be hearing about, has done a couple of plays. One is called Our Experience Has Taught Us a sensational history of the 12 traditions. Uh, many people who went to the World Conference in Atlanta had a chance to see this play. It's been shown other places as well. It's uh, What's written here is, with a sweeping cast of characters that include Bill and Lois W., Dr. Bob and Anne S., Clarence S., Marty Mann, Cleveland Indians catcher Roley Hemsley, and the starlet Lillian Roth, 
our experience has taught us dramatizes the experience of the early AA groups in Ohio, New York, and California. Powerful and entertaining, this play brings to life the often comical and sometimes tragic experiences that led to the adoption of our 12 traditions. Uh, Glenn Chestnut is a fan of Jackie B's. He is, if you don't already know him, he's someone I'd like to share with you too. He's a, a great historian. In fact, he's a professor of uh, uh, theology. He uh, has his, got his doctorate in the 60s in philosophy and religious studies from Oxford. And he is the moderator, or at least one of the moderators, of Yahoo Group for AA History Lovers. Glenn Chestnut has been a very influential person in my life, I must say. And here's what he said. Jackie B. is one of the best recovery historians of the new generation and a master storyteller. Her play has the people in the audience laughing, crying, standing on their feet and applauding, and being totally pulled into the vivid tales which she spins. So, you're just going to have to wait 10 or 15 minutes or so for uh, Jackie B. because uh, we're going to get Bill or William G. Uh, Borchert on. He's going to tell you the story himself, so I'm not going to go into great details, but he's a seasoned writer. He's written a couple of movies that we know about. My name is Bill W., When Love is Not Enough, the Lois Wilson story, and uh, he's done a lot of other things too. So with no further ado, let me share with you the conversation I had with uh, William B. Uh, hi, this is William Borchardt, uh, the author of a new book called How I Became My Father, A Drunk, and this is Rebellion Dogs Radio. Hello, William. Joe, how are you doing today? I've talked a little bit about uh, your uh, background, uh, how you got into uh, journalism. I mean, reading the story, how you got into the sort of writing for a uh, film side of thing just seemed to be like a pinball bouncing from one place to another. W was it ever a goal of yours? No, it was not, Joe. It was not a goal. Yeah. Uh, you know, my goal was to, was to write books. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, because I spent a lot of time in the business writing, you know, news stories and articles for various magazines. Uh, back in the heyday of journalism, there were a lot of magazines around to write for. Yeah. Like Pageant and Coronet. And you probably don't remember some of those, but uh, uh, they were wonderful magazines. But I always wanted to write books. And, uh, in fact, when I was drinking, when I was a real drunk, I wrote a book. <laughs> and,. Uh, Back in those days, you had to use carbon paper to make copies, right? Right. So I was too lazy to do that, so I wrote the, wrote the book, had it in an envelope, and was uh, heading home from work, because I used to also, in between writing stories for the paper, I would work on my own. Yeah. And I was so loaded that when I got off the train, I uh, left his manuscript on the subway station, and I was the last I ever saw of it. Oh, man. I, oh, man, is right. You know what I'm talking about. I, I do, I do. You know, it yeah. just... Even when you lose, you know, 3,000 words or something and, you know, like you accidentally delete something. Or, but mm -hmm. it's easy to forget about the old days of uh, typewriters and 
whiteout and even before the days of whiteout and <laughs> yeah right right yeah ernie kurtz talks about you know the difference in his life from writing uh, not god a history of alcoholics anonymous and uh, experiencing spirituality just I mean, it's a whole era of technology between one book and the other. It sure is. It sure is. Yeah. And today, I, today, it's it's just I, I love it because it's it's so easy to write. I mean, yeah. In terms of the technology of it, you know. Yeah. Uh, so easy to you know to to correct your mistakes. So easy to send copies here and there. I mean, it's just a marvelous, marvelous. In your story, I mean, a there's the memoir side of it. You're growing up, your alcoholism, following in your father's footsteps. Although you would have sworn, I'm never going to be like him. I'm not going to be oh, the father he was. Know. Yeah, I'm not going to be the drinker he was. I'm not going to be the husband he was. And and then we eat those words. But there's also the story of your falling into AA history, in, in a way, meeting Lois Wilson. I'm going to get you to talk a little bit more about that. I mean, you, you were uh, next door to uh, her husband, Bill Wilson, but it seemed most of your meetings were in Queens, more than Manhattan. Uh, but you, you, you were next door neighbors with uh, Lois Wilson. We were 20 minutes away, which, you know, you're right, it's almost next door. Yeah. But the reason why I didn't get to know Bill, I met him twice, Yeah. Bill twice, was because uh, when I began to get sober, or when I got sober in New York, I really couldn't get a decent job. Yeah. It's amazing how a drunk can get a bad reputation, even in a city of 9 million people. You know? Yeah. I, I, to a friend of mine, and, and I did have one left, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he was a terrific guy. He was an executive vice president for a major public relations organization. And he still believed in me. And uh, so he got me a wonderful job in Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so he moved there, as you know, from mm -hmm. the book. And uh, yeah. we lived there for, you know, six years. And we, re and we repaired and rebuilt our family. And uh, then we went to Cleveland and then came back to New York in 1968. Well, I had met Bill before I left New York. Yeah. I went to his birthday dinner, which they hold every, still, they still hold that. Yeah, exactly right. At the right. Hotel, which is a fundraiser for the New York intergroup, you know. Mm -hmm. And my sponsor introduced me to him, and I'm going to tell you, I was sober only about four months, five months. And I was I was awed, I was overwhelmed and, and by his personality and the fact that what he had done, you know, saved my life. And, and then when I came back to New York in 1968, I saw him again in 1969, and he was a completely different person. He had lost a tremendous amount of weight from his uh, emphysema and yeah. his heart disease. His mm -hmm. clothes were hanging off him. And he lived on a puffer, you know? Yeah. He'd speak for 30 seconds and have to take a puff to get his breath. And, yeah. And then he died in 1971. And it was in 1972 or three. I think it's 373. We met, I met Lois through my wife, who was very, very active in Al-Anon. So, yeah. Uh, that's how all that worked out. The other fascinating thing is how you became so enamored with this story, uh, but you went to your friends in entertainment, and one of the great lines you heard was, Hey, buddy, movies are for entertainment. If you want to send a message, call Western Union. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was voting yes on 
on, on most of the projects that we, you know, um, and they quit fit seven. So why can't they vote yes on mine? You know. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. But they just didn't understand the power of the story. You know. Right. Particularly when you're sipping a martini and you're living the good life. You know, you you still have that look looking down at that drunks kind of a attitude. You know. Yeah. Uh, both um, My Name is Bill Wilson and uh, When Love is Not Enough set uh, records for television, didn't they? It, it turned out television was the better medium in terms of your goal. Yeah, it turned out that way. I, I wanted to originally make it as a feature film. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and I described in the book how it came about. And it was Peter show, James Garner's partner, who convinced me that, that we'd reach more people by television. Yeah, and we reached them all over the world. So, yeah. uh, and he was absolutely right. And and Bill W. My name is Bill W. Has now become the most watched television movie ever made. Isn't that incredible? Yeah, it totally is. Yeah. But people ask, well, how do you know that? Well, it's, it's the Museum of Arts and Sciences, the American Broadcasting Company, and the, and the, the Hallmark Hall of Fame that came up with those statistics. So it's not me; it's them. You know. Yeah. So, that DVD is on my home group's library table, and anyone can borrow it. And wow, that's wonderful. Yeah, it's just it's a it's a great way to learn so much. And you know, we made uh, the last movie uh, when it was not enough right there in Toronto, and we had a great old time doing it. And, and then there's a father Peter I met. Do you know a father Peter? Oh, oh yeah, certainly uh, uh, Pete W. Uh, He's uh, retired uh, from preaching, but yeah, he came to AA very young, uh, was active in AA service. He was uh, the delegate for our area, and yeah, you, you might have come across him in uh Oh, I did. New I York. interviewed him. Yeah. I interviewed him for a book that I wrote called 1,000 Years of Sobriety. Right. He was one of those uh, 50s. No. He, what happened was I wrote a story. And then I got a call from somebody, I'm trying to remember who, uh, who was a very close friend of his and mine, mm -hmm. and said, I hate to tell you this, but Father made a mistake in his you know, anniversary. He's not quite 50 yet. Oh, wow. He's 49. Yeah. And, uh, and the book wasn't, you know, it, it, the book was coming out, but it was, it was like six months more before he would turn 50. So, uh, you know, I, I debated and... And then I also talked to Hazelton about it, and they said, as good as it just, he may be in his story, he says, you know, it, it, it can't be in because he's not 50, he's 50 years old yet. So yeah. I was very disappointed because I enjoyed, I enjoyed interviewing him, you know. Yeah, uh, and, um, and he's still around. Maybe it can uh, make its way into uh, uh, an online expose or something. Yeah, yeah. The Lois story was very gripping, and and how it got from uh, book form to uh, the screen form, and Winona Ryder playing Lois. Barry Pepper was great as Bill Wilson too. I mean, it was. Well, Winona, I always say, was the perfect Lois Wilson because she was a very soft person, but at the same time very strong. Yeah. And she is that as a person, as an actress. She's yeah. very strong. Yeah. Uh, you know, she'll tell you what she feels about something. Yeah. But when she, but her acting, she's she's very soft in her approach to things, but can get very strong. There are some scenes in that movie where she just takes Bill to task. You know. Yeah. I mean, there's one scene where she screams at him. You know, you only have the decency to die. That she was just perfect for that part. 
you know, I've heard the stories of how she, part of her resented all of these drunks in Bill's life because all of her love couldn't get him sober, and Mm -hmm. these reprobates did. And, Mm -hmm. you know, what an insult to injury that was. She told me, and Bernadette, my wife, she loved my wife, and they spent a lot of time together. But I remember telling us that she carried this resentment, really a deep resentment against Dr. Bob, Mm -hmm. until she went to Akron, and she met Annie. Yeah. And when she met Annie, she realized, here's a lady yeah. who was going through the same thing she was. Yeah. And then they both recognized that Bill and Bob needed each other. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. But until then, she couldn't stand this doctor drunk from Akron, Ohio. Yeah. You know, who was doing for Bill what she couldn't do. Yeah. You know? And, uh, you know, and she gave him her whole life. He was her whole life. But it helps her through Annie come to recognize, and they both did, that this is what happens to families of alcoholics. They get impacted by the disease, yeah. and they suffer, and they get sick, and they need to do something about it. So, And she always used to, and, and we would chat, when we would talk, she would always refer to Annie as her first Al-Anon sponsor. You know? Yeah. Even though Al-Anon wasn't started until 1951. That's right. And Annie died in 1949. She was her... You know, she always considered her Al-Anon sponsor. Yeah, whenever ever two or more are gathered, and they were. <laughs> mm-hmm. Al-Anons will routinely tell their sponsees to go to one AA meeting a month just to understand mm-hmm. the alcoholic better. And I think mm-hmm. it's just as good an advice to give to an alcoholic to go to, you know, at least a few Al-Anon meetings a year to understand the the wreckage and the yeah. trauma that we impose on others. Very well said. Yeah. And, and, and Lois felt exactly that way. Not only that, first of all, she considered herself a member of AA as well as a member of Al-Anon. Yeah. You know? And she also recommended that wives learn more about the disease by going to meetings with their husband. Yeah. Um, and that's why so in the beginning, so many wives began to go with their husbands to meetings. And thirdly, she always suggested to everyone coming in and I don't know, to read the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Today, I is who is ever heading it up is discouraging that for some reason, but uh, I don't know why, but they are. Yeah, Things change. It'll come back around again. So. Exactly right. And the great thing is with uh, the service structure is uh, any group can do whatever they want. <laughs> Right, exactly, exactly. And uh, it was very difficult, even though Bill and Bob felt that way, they also found it very difficult to give up AA, you know, when they turned it over to everybody in Cleveland, when um, they sort of resigned as the czars of Alcoholics Anonymous and and laid out that whole wonderful plan for AAs to run Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, A friend, uh, you got a new Bill really, really well. He said that for several years after that. Bill was really worried about they made my fall apart if without him, you know. So. Yeah. <laughs> and and I wish I wish people coming into the program today would uh, would really study the history of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, it would it would make them appreciate what they have more because what what they have is something that almost never made it. You yeah. know, and there were so many chances for AA not to make it, and I got to give Bill credit there because. Dr. Bob went back to practicing medicine and, and made a living yeah. 
whereas Bill was so involved in, in keeping AA going mm-hmm. that he just never never made any money, you know, working. And, uh, yeah. And that's why he lost the house. And, uh, yeah. And, and for, for, for two years moved 52 times different living with, with, with friends. And I remember my, my my wife, we were sitting in Lois's living room one evening and and uh, enjoying her um, coffee jello. And, uh, <laughs> and and Bernard said, I said, I know you've been asked this many, many times, Lois, but uh, why did you really stay with him? You know? <laughs> and, she, and she says, well, you know, I always tell people because I love them. And, uh, and she said, but that really is too simplistic, but it gets most people satisfied. Is the real reason I stayed is that, that that I wanted to leave, but I began to see, you know, how dedicated he was to every single alcoholic he tried to help. Yeah. And it inspired me. What he was doing inspired me. Yeah. And that enhanced my love for this man. You know that he was so unique, such a a loving and giving person. Even though he was giving more to uh, drunks that he was giving to me. That and being so inspired, I knew I couldn't leave him. I had to help him in any way I could. Yeah. Now that kind of an answer really made so much sense to me, you know. Uh, do you know Leonard uh, from uh, Writers and Treatment? Oh, I just had lunch with him last week in New York. He's got a, a great idea going there, and we're talking about somehow bringing the film festival to Toronto. But I, I'd really love to see it, sort of a multidisciplinary show that would involve books to plays to movies there's some great bloggers and there's some great podcasters and you know just a a sort of multimedia recovery creative process as opposed to strictly a a film festival but well two things two things the first thing i want to say is is a selfish thing Mm -hmm. and that is if you know any bloggers like that that can help me yeah. get you know, my book in their hands. I would appreciate any help you can give me. Yeah. And the other thing is that um, uh, Leonard is uh, is doing a big film festival in New York, um, and he's going to be showing My Name is Bill W., and he's going to be showing the Lois Wilson story When Love is Not Enough, and he's asked me to speak. Perfect. Um, yeah. And I think that's 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 good, not, 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 not just from an egotistical point of view, mm-hmm. but... You know, other movies that he shows, he ought to try to get the producers or a star or, mm-hmm. or the writer of the film, mm-hmm. you know, to come to his, his his festival, because that will enhance it a great deal. I love writers, and I have yeah. a lot of friends who are good writers. We don't have any jealousy between us because, you know, it's, you know we learn from each other. Yeah. And, uh, and so you get these guys up, and they don't get a chance to speak very much about the things that they do. And then, and then you open it up to the audience and you have questions, you know. Uh, one of the things that I do, Joe, is when I'm out speaking, uh, mostly at these other you know, organizations like the dentists or the doctors or whatnot, yeah. I usually show, I have uh, two films called The Making of My Name is Bill W. and The Making of the Lois Wilson Story. And it takes you backstage onto the film set, you know, uh, and, you, and, you, and you meet the actors and actresses and they talk about, you know, doing this movie and what they've enjoyed about it. And you, you meet the director, and then you meet the set designer who takes you on a tour of how they set up the, the, all of these sets. And, yeah. Uh, and it's it's really really nice, and everybody just absolutely loves it because it, it gives most people who don't know anything about how movies are made an idea of how movies are made. You know. 
Yeah, yeah, everyone wants to know, and it's the story behind the story, and sometimes that's just as captivating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and these, and these are both well done. They're both done by Hallmark. Yeah. And uh, so if, 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 any, if you have an opportunity, um, you know, uh, a situation where you think that might be helpful, you know, to show these kind of the making of it, I'll be glad to work with you on it. Yeah, oh, uh, I'll find a way. <laughs> great, 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 great. Because I think it's great to, you know, and like you say, I mean, writers and other writers, they, they share their successes, they share their problems, they share their failures because we're not each other's competition. Facebook is our competition. <laughs> yeah, right, 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 right. <laughs> You seem quite accessible. If people want to get a hold of you uh, online, uh, what's the, the best way to drop you a line? My email is simple. It's William, initial G for George, yep. and the last name, Borchert, B-O-R, that's B for boy, O-R-C-H-E-R-T, at AOL.com. AOL.com, great. And my website is William Borchert, spelled the same way, yep. B-O-R-C-H-E-R-T, Dot com. Great. I'd just like to say this last thing about yeah, the book. Yeah, please. It's certainly not a downer. I mean, it's a tough, you read it, so it's, yeah. it's difficult. But it's also a lot of laughs. And, and, and maybe a few tears here and there, you know. But, uh, you know, I, I wrote it from the heart. Um, I wrote it, um, you know, also for a man who I loved and respected once he got sober. Yeah. Who I know loved and respected me once he got sober. Yeah. I wrote it because our, our families recovered, and 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 uh, we today have a, my family is a loving family, and uh, and my mother became a, what the difference between their marriage, Joe, before AA, mm-hmm. and 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 recovery, and and after, so incredible for the last fifteen years of their lives, they were like honeymooners. I yeah, mean, it was, and they traveled a lot, went places they had never been able to go before. And uh, it was just, just, just wonderful. And, uh, and so I, I like to think that the book is filled with love and compassion and understanding. Yeah, I and see I that in with y- your uh, wife as well. Every time you got set up somewhere, like in, uh, uh, you know, she, there was te- trepidation about going uh, to Tennessee. But then once mm-hmm. you were there, when you were talking about moving, she just didn't want to jinx it. We got it pretty mm-hmm. good here, Bill. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Uh, she is a, she's an incredible lady. She yeah. really is. And, I don't, and she's not in the room here right now for me to hear. <laughs> I'm in my office with the door closed. Yeah. <laughs> but she's just an absolutely incredible lady. And, yeah. Uh, uh, I love her to death. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, fantastic. Well, uh, we'll have to find a way to do this again. It's uh, I really enjoyed the book. I really look forward to talking to you. And uh, I, I hope it's uh, the first of many chats. Wow. Okay. So that is just a part of my conversation with uh, William G. Uh, Borchert. And he is going to be back next week, or next week, next show, episode 24, where we're going to look at the business of uh, book writing, storytelling, memoir writing. I'm going to be drawing on something I've been talking about in earlier shows, which was a very inspirational book for me. Uh, Jessica Lamb Shapiro's Promised Land, My Journey Through America's Self-Help Culture. So we're going to be talking about 
the business of self-help and the opportunity for us to explore the opportunity to share in some way and give back in some way. Uh, a lot of people are writing memoirs. There are courses for memoirs. So uh, that's just a precursor to next episode. And I'm going to have more of that interview I just had or that conversation I just had with uh, William. He's going to share some of his insights into story writing, the art of writing, and uh, what you should think about if you're considering a memoir, if you think you have a story inside you. But that is next episode. This episode, we're only halfway through. I would now like to go directly to my conversation with uh, Jackie B. Links to both uh, William's website and his book, which I encourage you to read, and Jackie's uh, website. And if you can get a hold of a copy of her play, I would encourage you to do it. I've got the book version of Our Experiences Taught Us. If you can get a hold of a hard copy, maybe, or an ebook version of Our Experiences Taught Us, it's a play, but it's a great read. It's, it's very funny and very heartwarming. I cried. I laughed. I didn't hurl. But anyway, that's enough experience on that. So here's Jackie B. We'll just have to talk to her again because it was so much fun. I'm already planning a way to do that somehow. But with no further ado, ladies and gentlemen, from San Francisco area, Jackie B. Jackie, it's great to reconnect. Welcome to Rebellion Dogs Radio. Listeners know that you and I first met in Sedona at the AA History okay. Symposium. What a weekend. I mean, what was your takeaway from that weekend? It was actually a really um, important weekend for me on many like personal and spiritual levels and in my recovery. And I, I was uh, at the first one as well, uh, which connected me with so many amazing people that really helped me in the last couple of years. But, um, I mean, one of the most actually powerful talks that I heard was yours on um, uh, agnostics and atheists, um, and it really changed a lot of the ways I, I thought about things, and so I really appreciated that. I'm very moved by AA history, clearly. Um, <laughs> clearly. And it, yeah, and even the people who were in attendance but who were um, giving you know, the talk, there were some really incredible people there, you know, meeting Arthur, Arthur S., and, you know, spending time with Bill and Jay. It's really incredible. I love Glenn. I'm very lucky that Glenn Chestnut and I, um, you know, I get to see him. I just saw him, like, a, a couple weeks ago, so. Oh, nice. Um, it's, it's hard to, you know, kind of put it into into words. Like, in my, in my personal life and in what I do to make a living, not a lot of people know about this aspect of what I do, you know, and then there are the people who are involved in my theater group and like the audiences in that personal side of my life right now, there are some challenges and I've had a couple of like, you know, very uh, humbling experiences. And so going to that weekend and just being around so many people who I respected who gave me positive feedback on my presentation mm -hmm. kind of made, and the work that I do also kind of, Help me feel better about what I'm doing. I remember coming back just feeling a way that I hadn't felt in a long time. You know, I'm very interested in the mistakes yeah. you know, that we made as a fellowship. <laughs> even the way I, when I learn about that stuff, and then I see the way in general over time there seems to be lessons learned, and then being able to put those 
lessons into practice, you know, I find it very moving, you know, so I'm not, I'm not actually necessarily interested in, like, our successes or, you know, the things that we do did right back in, like, 1934 and the way we did it back in, you know, the good old days. I'm actually interested in, like, you know, that's why I love the history of the traditions, you know, what were the mistakes that were made, how do we change, it makes me actually feel quite safe to be a part of this very, you know, imperfect you know, society that's willing to, like, learn and, and get better and grow, because that's kind of my own personal story. That says a lot, that it helps you feel safe, like it's a safe place. We lead with our uh, weakness. We lead with our imperfection, our vulnerability. And uh, I, yeah. I agree with you. And, and also, what I sometimes uh, remind people is AA isn't something that happened way back then, it's our history is ongoing. It's we're in the middle of the story, uh, not at the end of mm-hmm. the story. Yeah, and you know your talk really, you know, really brought that up for me because that was, you know, uh, just learning about how the, you know, the pamphlet um, get didn't get approved um, for publication, correct? Um, yeah. And you know, learning that, you know, as I said, it reminded me a lot of looking at like, you know, the struggle for the gay and lesbian pamphlet, you know, that took place in the seventies and eighties. Yeah. Um, and seeing that that process that they went through, you know, um, or reading about it because I wasn't there, right? Yeah. And so mm-hmm. reading about it, learning about it, learning about the struggle to get um, gay and lesbian meetings um, listed in the directory, um, all of that, you know, I can look at it and see its history and that's an example of like mistakes that were made. Um, or things that could have been done differently that over time finally was corrected and now it's kind of accepted. You know, these are a part of the world directory. You know, there is the pamphlet for gays and lesbians. And so to realize that that same kind of struggle, a similar struggle was going on right now, was really helpful to me, you know. You write about uh, that in your experience with your characters, uh, Sybil and uh, June, in uh, Our Experiences Taught Us, and, of course, uh, what uh, both you and Glenn were talking about, first African-Americans mm-hmm. making inroads with, you know, against homophobia in AA. It's not an AA problem, but it's at least very well documented here. I mean, a part of the reason why I wrote the play is, you know, there's still a lot of stories people don't know about, you know. Yeah. I mean, there's still a lot of people that don't know that Joe McQuaney is African-American, you know, so there are people who are listening to his you know, Joe and, you know, Charlie Speaker tapes for, yeah. you know, years and years and don't know that and don't know that he was, like, the first African-American to get sober in Little Rock, Arkansas, during the 1960s, which, you know, I mean, it's, his story is absolutely incredible, aside from, you know, his contributions. Yeah. Um, um, with the big book um, study. And I think AA would feel more inclusive if, people knew more about those stories. So um, I wrote a play called In Our Own Words, and Joe's McQueenie story was in it, as well as Jenny Miller, who was, you know, we kind of coined her the first uh, lady of black AA. She got sober in Indiana in the 1940s. Um, so it's one of the more well-documented um, uh, oral histories that we have of an early African-American woman. Glenn did this. Glenn Chestnut did the, the interviews with her. Yeah. So I put those two stories in a play I wrote called In Our Own Words, and I remember really, a lot, as well as the story of like some um, early gay members, and um, June G., uh, a young woman who, you know, she got sober when she was 13, um, and I put those stories in this play, and it was presented, um, 
you know, in, in San Francisco and in San Jose. And I remember someone in the San Jose um, audience came up to me and they said to me, you know, I'm gay. And for the first time, I feel like I'm a part of the AA story. And that was very profound. And that's kind of why I wrote it, you know, in many ways. Um, they, Bill Wilson is like, a, but he's like a personal hero of mine. Like, I mean, he is. If I could, you know, sit down and have a conversation with someone in history, right? I mean, I would want to sit and talk to Bill. I would love to talk to him. You know, there is this history that we hear told over and over again. I mean, what I also love about AA is you don't have to know anything about AA history to do the 12 steps, to get, you know, into recovery, to get sober, to be a part of this, to go to meetings. I mean, I actually really like that, you know. And it, I, I like sharing the history because I think, you know, for me, it's, it's been very... It's helped my recovery and it's made me feel safe. Like, that is definitely, like, a big part of what learning about AA history has done because I didn't feel safe when I first came into the room. Yeah. So I, I want to say that I really like that about AA history. I like that there are people who don't know who Bill Wilson is. I love that. That That is the history that, you know, majority of people who are, know about the AA history know. And, you know, there are people like Jimmy Burwell, you know, there are people yeah. like Joe McClaney, that there are all these stories, because AA's been pretty inclusive in terms of, like, there have been all kinds of people, different marginalized people, a part of AA from the very beginning. Year two, 1937, first, you know, gay member, yeah. people knew were gay, was in the room. I mean, that's incredible. These were our pioneers. Our pioneers were not all white men. And that, that kind of is a criticism that, you know, sometimes and including myself, you know, came, coming in as like a young Jewish, you know, secular, you know, um, agnostic woman when I came in, when yeah. I was 27, you know, was very disturbed by a lot of the Judeo-Christian talk. You know, I'm still a feminist, you know. Um, mm, yeah. I had problems with a lot of the language in the book. Ironically, the more I learned about AA history and the more I started researching these particular pioneers and the history of marginalized people, the more more and more proud I become to be a member of AA. And the more and more safe I feel, the more and more a part of I feel. And alcoholism is such a disease, addiction is such a disease of isolation. You know, I once heard a, in a podcast someone say something around, like, you know, the opposite of addiction or the cue for addiction is connection. You know, learning that AA history does is it connects me to the alcoholics who came before me, and um, particularly some of us who perhaps don't feel an automatic connection to people who, you know, white men, older white men from a Judeo-Christian background, you know, <laughs> struggle to feel that connection at first, at least, right? Um, I can now, you know, I can feel a spiritual connection to Bill Wilson now, even though, you know, as a you know, white male, Wall Street, you know, capitalist, <laughs> yeah. you know, broker at the time. It didn't seem like I was. When I read Bill's stories for the first time, I didn't feel connected to them. And luckily, then we have all the stories in the back of the book. So that's the good news, right? But then, you know, as I said, um, there, there, I think there are a lot of groups of people who feel like they can't connect to AA, but especially to AA history. And they're actually, those stories are there and they're very significant. And I want them to be shared. Even Ernie Kurtz uh, said he didn't really like Bill Wilson when he started studying him, but just because, you know, they didn't have the same politics. But the more and more he learned about him, the more and more letters he read, uh, he mm -hmm. really came to see that uh, he, he's a man worth emulating in many, many ways. Not, not a perfect yeah. man, uh, but uh, 
a perfect leader for an organization like this. I mean, I think the qualities that I most admire in Bill is um, tolerance and compassion. Yes. You know, um, the more and more I learn about him, um, he was really able to, to bring people together. And, you know, he wrote the book in a way, the further writings and, you know, the 12 and 12 and even the setup of the whole, you know, general service concept. I mean, it really is about to me inclusiveness and making this available to, to everyone, you know, and it does, and thank goodness for that. One thing I just got to ask you, when I'm reading... <laughs> Uh, your play, for instance, where does a recreation of history stop and historical fiction begin? I mean, you must have some gaps you have to fill in. And what what is yeah. that process like? You know, it's interesting because the first play I wrote in our words, like I really intended it to be a documentary style play. I only wanted to use sound text. So 97% of the dialogue was written entirely from speaker tapes or grapevine stories or the mm -hmm. big book. It was interesting. I thought almost more like an editor than a writer but um, mm -hmm. and a, a director. Um, and I love that work. But then with the next play that I wrote, Our Experience of Products, which was about history of the tradition, that one, you know, I, I ventured into um, really having to write my own dialogue, having to write a scene between Bill and Bob. You know, I mean, we don't know exactly what they said. Mm -hmm. You know, the meeting in the gatehouse, um, that type of thing. That's the question, isn't it? You know, my philosophy is, as much as possible, I do like to use sound text. Or, for example, Jimmy Burwell is quoted as using the phrase, this God stuff or God business, you know. Yeah. Um, then I'll use that phrase in my writing or in my dialogue, I'll, 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 I'll do that. Or sometimes when I have, you know, Bill shares his story with Bob, you know, I take his description from the big book and I use that, you know, I, I, I like to use, since I'm, I'm characterizing historical, dramatizing historical figures as much as I can, I try to use their own words. I mean, that's still a part of my, my philosophy, but then you have to fill in the gaps or make things fluid. And then, then man, it's just, you know, work, like I hate to say it, it's like what comes out of my fingertips on the computer. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's being in the writing mode. And I, I actually send my plays quite frequently out to like Glenn Chestnut or other historians, and I ask them to read it and give me feedback to make sure like it's historically accurate or, you know, is my interpretation, you know, what do you think of my interpretation? Um, so, you know, historical fiction is, is it's tough. I mean, there are, there's both this thing of wanting to be not to not perpetuate any gross historical inaccuracy right. that has a reference for history mm -hmm. right um, to, you know and then also to kind of tap into what I call like an, an emotional authenticity you know and to you know allow the audience to have you know an emotional investment I'll give an example you know there's the story of Irma Lavoni who's a woman who got kicked out of AA by the you know executive board of Alcoholics Anonymous at the time in Los Angeles, right? This was before the tradition. Yeah. Um, her membership was, quote-unquote, terminated. And there's this urban myth story that I read about how AA helped her get her first apartment, and then after she got kicked out of AA, she went to the top of her apartment building and jumped off. Like, that's something I read about in, like, history forums. And then thanks to the AA History Lovers Yahoo website, someone actually went and digged up Irma Lavoni's 
search for her and her death certificate and information. She didn't kill herself. She didn't. She died when she was older. You know, still fairly young. I mean, I think in her fifties or sixties. But yeah. so, to the best of our knowledge, if that is the Irma, you know, Irma L. Irma Livoni that Sybil Corwin is passing on in that story. So, in one of the first drafts of the play, she killed herself. She jumped off her apartment building. It was very moving. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like the audience was very moved by it, you know, but once it became clear that that did not happen, I didn't want to perpetuate that story. You know, I, I talked about, you know, instead that the disease killed her, you know, and she died fairly young and, you know, comp- health complications that like, could have been the disease. And even that may not, you know, be be what happened, but, you know, that felt like less of a, I don't know, a fiction, you know, yeah. than if I said she killed herself. Um, same thing with Florence. Towards R, who was the first member, uh, female member of AA before Marty Nance. And she yeah. was sober for about a year. People say she killed herself, but she actually died of complications due to alcoholism. So she essentially probably drank herself to death. Yeah. But again, it's also a story that works really well when you say that, she, you know, she killed herself. So um, those are things, you know, that it's like, mm, I'm not going to go there. But and on the alternate example, I'm telling the story of the traditions and self-support, so I, I should talk about the Rockefeller, you know, yeah. and the Rockefeller. And it's like, how do you make that interesting? You know, how do you make that entertaining? Um, and also, how do you, there's so many people involved in that story, William Richardson and, yeah. um, you know, Leroy Chapman and then Frank Amos. You know, you can't involve all those people. And, um, you know, one of the most important contributions towards our traditions was this concept of won't money spoil this thing. You know, and I had Rockefeller, Nelson Rockefeller, tell that to Bill Wilson, you know, when Bill um, is approaching him and asking for seed money to print the book and to, you know, get you know, get their their missions and their hospitals off the ground. I'm attributing that quote, won't money spoil this thing to Nelson Rockefeller when I believe it was either William Richardson or Frank Amos in a report that they gave to Rockefeller. So for the sake of, you know, my historical fiction, my play, to make it, you know, an, a, an understandable narrative to the audience, had yeah. Rockefeller say, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and I, I feel like that's okay. It is a historical fiction, you know, and for the purpose of entertainment and education. So it's a, it's a you know, it's kind of my personal values and I'm having to play that role. Glenn Chestnut and these amazing historians will tell me I'm a historian, and I'm like, slow down, guys. <laughs> <laughs> the last play, Art Cruz, has taught us, for me, the point of writing it, the purpose of it, which is to get people to be invested in the tradition. You don't have the traditions actually read or said until the very end of the play. My whole purpose of the play is just so that when they read the traditions at the end, the audience is moved. I think, you know, this idea of bringing it to life and putting it in a way that perhaps is a little bit more digestible or helps people pick a little bit, um, it is. It's different than sitting and reading it. That's the amazing thing about historians is they can read some really dry stuff and find intense inspiration from it. And then there are other people who, who can't, you know, and they, they, they can read the 12 and 12 over and over again. It doesn't quite hit them. We learn our spiritual lessons through sharing our stories. And so, you know, mm. I always, the traditional study that kind of, that I went to that kind of inspired play and the whole, you know, structure of the old timers talking to the newcomer uh, about the traditions and telling stories was from this um, 
a step study and tradition study that I went to um, called Sesame Step in San Francisco. There was an old timer, 5P, who passed away, but he was 43 years, and he didn't talk very much, but on traditions, last Tuesday of the month, he would usually share during the tradition study, and he was the first one to tell me the story about Joe McClain being African American. Of course, he, you know, talked about the Jack Alexander, and he, and he would also talk about his own personal experiences with the traditions, and that's when they really kind of came alive. And that's why the play is a series of stories, you know, and I didn't want to do, like, scene one, tradition one, scene two, tradition yeah, yeah. two, you know, I just, I wanted to tell these stories, and at the end, hopefully people would see how they overlapped into these well, traditions. Can you... Yeah. Uh, tell us as much as you're comfortable telling us about the play you're working on now. I have like a list of projects, so it's always kind of interesting to see, you know, kind of what emerges. The two projects I'm kind of balancing between is this one about the spiritual roots of the 12 steps, um, you know, in the Oxford group, and kind of everything that, that led up to Bill and Bob meeting, um, but in kind of that history before 1935. And then, but the one that I'm seriously working on right now is the way in which uh, AA spread around the world and the service structure that built to facilitate that. And that includes the General Service Conference. A lot of the first-person research that I'm doing, and I'm going to New York to do that, which I'm really excited. I have my ticket, and I have my place to stay. This is my first time I've done food for um, for and research there. I'm really interested in the objections to the General Service Conference. So all I know, I might do all this research on that and then decide, no, I'm not going to put it in there. But I'm, I'm very interested in this, this idea of, you know, we have this thing of AA ought not be organized and let's keep it simple. And then we have this general service structure, right? Where when you look at it, it seems very organized, you know? And, and from the outside point of view, it seems like government. And so I think there's a there's some kind of interesting tension between that aspect of AA of let's keep it simple and that one alcoholic working with another. And then there's the practicalities of spreading the message around the world. But, you know, at the same time, you know, I had this interesting experience. It was my first NA conference. My, my sponsor is an AA and NA, and she was speaking at an NA conference, so I went to my first conference and was really exciting and I was actually surprised that someone came up to me and said I saw your play yeah like right? I was at an NA conference and it was this guy who had been a part of this he was in this program called Project uh, 90 in San Mateo which is a, a treatment program sober living environment and we did our play you know a play there a short version of our play there and you know he was you know talking to me about you know how moved he was and it and here's someone who doesn't didn't have a lot of time in AA and it just made me think also about how the you know the stories of the tradition still like really they can't appeal to people who are new and from different fellowships and so it made me think of like okay if I write this play about general service it's going to be really specific to one kind of group of people so I'm kind of leaning towards maybe focusing more on the concept of service and you know, in general, and then spending a little bit of time about, about that. But who knows? You know, it's, it's everywhere. And I've also learned that I really need to keep my place to two hours or less. <laughs> 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 Cause 
the tradition one when we first showed it. I don't know how people sat through it. It was three hours long. People sat through three hours. God bless them, and they enjoyed it. Wow. Um, and I, we got it down to two hours for Atlanta, but there was so much material. I never thought I would ever have that problem as a writer. <laughs> and then suddenly it was like, I wait, you know, so who knows? You know whether I'm going to have an abundance or I'm going to be struggling. You know, I think you know, 70, 90 minutes is ideal. But there's there's that. You know, there's all those aspects to writing. You know, write doing plays, which is very different from writing books. Yeah. You know, or even a podcast series, you can break it up into like three different sessions if you want. But, yeah. You know, I'm writing a play. I I get people for a limited amount of time, and you know, after a certain amount of time, you can start to lose them. You have to deal with lots of different issues of pacing. It's really its its own thing, you know? So for all of the people who are rivetedly fascinated by you now and want to keep up with you, do you have like a social media presence? Where do we find you on Twitter or Facebook or on the net? I'm on on Facebook and um, uh, it's, you know, facebook.com slash, I believe it's Recovery Plays of Jackie B. Okay. And um, my website is um, recoveryplaysofjackieb.org. I have um, a little, I have a troop of actors that, you know, um, majority of us are all in recovery or connected to someone in recovery. Um, and we, we go by the name Recovery Works Theater um, when, we, um, when we perform um, for outside, outside groups. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can find out about that on my website, recoveryplaysofjackieb.org, um, um, and then I'm on Facebook. Yeah. Well, I can't wait until I see you again. I don't know when or how that'll happen, but I will live my life in accordance to its inevitability. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. Will you be going to another? You think you'll be coming to Sedona again? Um, yep, for one reason or another, I expect I'll be back. Um, Jay's trying to talk me into doing a workshop, and I'm going to do it, uh, but I'm a reluctant messiah. (laughs) Yeah. Those are the best. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Those are the only ones. Yeah. I don't know if I would trust anyone that was a gun home. Yeah, yeah, that's wow. that's the problem. You don't want you don't want to leave it to those Anthony Robbins of the world. Yeah. But yeah. anyway, I you know now we're starting a whole new podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll see you online, Jackie. Thanks for being part of uh, Rebellion Dogs Radio. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for for asking me. <laughs> All right, take care. You bet. Bye for now. Wow. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Jackie. Thanks, William. Really appreciated spending some time with me, and I was happy to share with everybody. Uh, see you online. RebellionDogsPublishing.com will have uh, links uh, that can get you in touch yourself with Jackie or William. And we'll be back on episode 24. Pick up where we left off, one day at a time. <laughs>